Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. You might want to turn those down. We had a we had, we had a we had a deaf person in earlier. Oh. <laughs> Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Perez. Well, no, I'm I'm only going to be here for a minute. <laughs> Welcome to the program there, the one and only, the great Perez, in the Element Well Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. As Rhino would say, it's Friday, y'all. <laughs> is, it, is it Friday? <laughs> it is. It's been a long day so far. <laughs> it has for you, my friend, for sure. I understand Mr. Gallo had to uh, make his way into the studio today. Hello, that's what that's what I'm saying. Yeah. See the deaf person was actually in the studio. <laughs> gotcha. So you might want to turn those down cuz they might hurt you. Well, I did notice that the screen was like on 8000 magnification. <laughs> Here in the studio I had to I had to reduce it a bit cuz I couldn't read it. It's like a, a outdoor sign. <laughs> I get it. I'm I'm well aware. Rhett in Ridgeland on the Sea Spire text line says, you're up past your bedtime. I am. Because normally I'm I'm in the car about now. Exactly. What about the weather? Uh, Yeah, what about it? It was bad. Swept through the state once again. Now, we got this coming again later today, or is this this it? Yeah, I think some more today. It's oh, a, groovy. It's less of a risk of severe weather. But last night, uh, it awakened me about 4.30. Well, that's when the phones went off. Exactly. And said, hey, we got all kinds of bad weather coming your way. And, of course, I sprung up, you know, like uh, the night before Christmas. <laughs> When you spring up from your bed, no, I'm, I'm, I, I don't do that anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm like if if somebody's in my living room, I'm going to shoot them. <laughs> Even Santa, you dying I, man? I, I don't know him. Exactly. <laughs> There's some dude in my living room, and I have a chimney, so that's a scary thing right there. Coal and sticks for you next year. I don't care. <laughs> it's like, what do I want for Father's Day? Oh, nothing. Leave okay. me alone. Gotcha. <laughs> well, it was bad. There's trees down, tree debris, power yeah. out everywhere. I know. Across the state. I look at the energy map this morning and dots all over the place indicating. Uh, it, it's it's going to suck when I get home and the power's off. Because it was on when I left. Oh, well, hopefully it's still on. Okay. But 
I'm I'm mentally preparing myself for the suckage. <laughs> I got you there's, suckage prep. Yeah, there's no point in being optimistic. Just go with. It's just yeah, suck. I got you. Well, uh, my young daughter who lives in Gluckstadt, she texted early this morning. Uh, headed downtown to work, and her, her dog stays in the house during the day when she's away, and that's fine. He's used to that. But no air conditioning, no power, so we have a dog guest at the house she brought by on the way to work, and she gets there, and <clears throat> no internet. So it's pretty hard for her to do her job without that. But what do you expect? When did we get so... When did we all get to the point where none of us can do a thing? If my internet goes out, let's say at four thirty, yeah, I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I that's the exact thought. I pardon me that I had when she texted me to tell me I got here and the internet's down, and I and I started thinking back of life and work before the internet. We still got a lot of work done, right? We did, but now can't do it. I, there is nothing. Honestly, the only thing I could do if I, when I wake up and my internet's down, shower, shave, and come on up here, because there's nothing I can do. I know. At home. How did we get there? I, I don't know. Oh man! And it wasn't a slow. I mean, it just happened one day. Click. That's true. Everything was in, on You're your right. computer. You're right. Exactly right. So what do we do now? Like turn to switch. Yeah. Yeah. So next it'll be, I can't live without my artificial intelligence. <laughs> Watch. <laughs> That's coming. I saw, by the way, I caught some sort of research report that said dogs are smarter than artificial intelligence. Well, of course. Duh. <laughs> we already knew that. <laughs> Here's my real problem. Now, this is, this is a, the, to me, the height of cynicism. Yeah. Paul McCartney comes out the other day and says there's going to be another Beatles song Saw that. Yep. with John Lennon. My first, my first thought, not, ooh, how did they do that? My first thought was, when is Yoko going to send the lawyers by? <laughs> <laughs> and don't put it past her. I'm not. That's what I'm saying. Okay. When is Yoko sending the lawyers? <laughs> Now that's that is that's absolutely true. I didn't think about that, but you're spot on on that, my friend. There's no doubt, <laughs> Paul. Uh, and then my second thought is, how are we going to the proceeds? Are we going to give Ringo something? Do we give George Harrison's wife a little something? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, John, her husband, of course, was uh, quite the musician. I would say, for the most part. Focused on making music and saving society. I mean, he was a social justice activist, so to speak. And, and long before that was ever a thing, right? Exactly. Long before anybody. Remember he and Oka, uh, Yoko in the hotel in the Netherlands? The PCN right. and all that, yeah. Calling for an end to the war right. in the 60s. And we're staying here, by gosh, in bed until the war ends or something. Remember that? Right, something remember. like that. Yeah. But Yoko, on the other hand, let's just say is very opportunistic. <laughs> Again, my first thought, when she's sending in the lawyers. <laughs> oh. John, go save the planet make music. Yoko, how can we make money off of this? How can we monetize all this? Remember now, when John, when John first got with Yoko, he had money. That's true. When John went on to meet Elvis, he had real money. Because exactly Yoko right. was managing the cash flow. She, she was. So that was a convenient relationship. <laughs> I'm sure there was love involved. 
but it was also <laughs> commerce involved. I mean, I, I, you know, it's an asset to sell, and she understood that. And as you well know, most musicians just expect other people to take care of that for them. <laughs> but there are many stories through the years of those who trusted and got absolutely Screwed. screwed. Big time. <laughs> there is no other word. There no other not word. in a good screwed. way. Yeah. Screwed. Yep. Uh, the one I think you and I have talked about before that comes to mind is Badfinger. Oh, God. Yeah. Two of them committed suicide. Pete Ham. I remember Pete Ham committed hung him, suicide. Hung himself, I believe, yes. as a result of that. When they discovered, you ain't got no money. What, what? happened to it? Uh, stole it. Stolen. Freaking managers. That they, and they were, what, in their 20s making all that money. Remember? Remember, now the, we're going back a long way. But I know. I'm, I'm going to do this anyway. <laughs> when Mick Taylor joined the Stones, yep. he thought in his 18 year old brain, oh, I'll be hanging out with a bunch of millionaires. They were all broke. They were all broke. That's exactly right. Somebody had already stolen their money. That's exactly right. And that it would be hard to pull that off today, I believe. There's lots of sunshine. You, you're acting like it wouldn't be. They I, still say, could, I don't think it would be. It, it's, it's more difficult nowadays. Okay. I think so. I but mean, don't, don't you know that there's a manager somewhere going, two for me. Yeah, no doubt. One for you. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. The, um, so, but there are lots of other examples of of musical artists in particular who absolutely just got screwed. Uh, pick any uh, anybody that worked for Chess Records. <laughs> That's exactly right, because <laughs> they were the kings of the screwing. Here's here's Cadillac. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, and Marshall Chess is walking down the road with your cash. But exactly right. Here's a Cadillac. <laughs> well. Uh, you know, I hate to see anybody getting taken advantage of like that. And there's no doubt that those artists, they needed managers so they could work on their craft right. and, and produce. But you, they, get, they trusted. That's the mistake they made, unfortunately, that they, that they trusted somebody. Um, hopefully, that's not as prevalent. I don't hear so much about that in well, these no. days. Most of nowadays, when somebody spends up spends up most of their money and they they die shortly thereafter. That's true because it's a drug overdose. <laughs> I'm not saying that we're we're just being stereotypical That's here, right. but you know if it looks like a duck, yeah, quacks. Guess what? Yeah, probably it. Duck. Well, we're in the Element Well Studios at 10.37 today. Todd Jordan, the mayor of Tupelo, Mississippi. At 11.20, it's Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News. She'll give us a rundown of all the news from across the Magnolia State this week and talk about the headlines the news department is tracking next week. We're stepping aside for a break right here, coming right back with a lot more in the Element Well Studios. Mississippi talking middays with Gerard Gibbert. 
Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. We are in the Element Wealth Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Speaking of which, the Dow's been crossing that unchanged line quite a bit. This morning it started out. Futures were up about 140 and then it went into negative territory just before we went to break. Now it's up 25. Yesterday, a huge day on the Dow, up some 400-plus points. The NASDAQ also up a percent change. And it, there are really seven companies that are driving this. You could sort of call them the Magnificent Seven. And uh, it's all about artificial intelligence. The Magnificent Seven, of course, would include Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, that's Google, Amazon, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Meta. It's, it's back to the big techs again. That's pulling in all the, uh, the buyers. That's driving the markets. Of course, Apple's part of the Dow. And it's all based on their emphasis, their expectation, their guidance of how Artificial intelligence will boost their revenue. Microsoft offered guidance yesterday, Will. By the way, the great Will East is just uh, sitting in the, now sitting in the producer's chair, taking in uh, for the substituting Perez for the first segment, Rhino yeah. Off. You ever heard that, that old saying, uh, it's been a day? Yeah, has it? It's been a day. I got you. I'm sorry about that. I know Mr. Gallo had quite the ordeal with his power being out. Yeah, and, uh, he, it seemed like uh, you got through that though. It, it, yeah, he was in studio for the first time in a long, long time, live in our main studio here. But yeah. uh, with the storms coming through, you know, about four thirty-ish, I yeah. guess, is when they crossed the Louisiana line. Uh, Vicksburg moved. The storm that I was in was uh, moved from Vicksburg to my uh, hometown of Clinton. And it got pretty bad there. There's a lot of trees down. I had to take a few detours to work this morning, actually. Yeah. I came in a little bit earlier just because of that. I didn't know how bad it was going to be. But, yeah, a lot of uh, storms out there. A lot of people without power, as, as far as we understand. I know there's a lot of trees down all across the state. So um, just hope. And it's, and, and it's going to continue, as far yeah. as we know, uh, especially rain. You look at the forecast the next couple of days, Gerard, the next week, really. Rain. It's rain every single day. I'm tired of it. Tired of it. Now, about a week and a half ago, we were saying, man, it's dry. We need some rain. Okay, I think we've had it now. <laughs> it's, um, we've had, I, I think, enough to last us for a while. It sure feels like it. It rained pretty hard. I mean, and every time it comes through, you look at the radar, and it's red. I mean, it's torrents. Exactly. It's hard rain. And it, uh, it certainly woke me up. I heard the wind howling, and I sprung up, opened the curtains, looked outside, and saw the trees wavering back yeah. and forth. I was concerned. Yeah, that we may see a tree fall, but fortunately didn't. Just, but golly, the tree debris Everywhere. across my property is incredible. Everywhere. Yeah, there is a big tree in my neighborhood that fell across one of the lanes, and so it's it's passable through one lane. Fortunately, it didn't block 
the only way out of the neighborhood. You know it's a lot of trees down when you can smell the sap. That's true. I noticed that as well. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. And, of course, this time of year, they're full of it. Yeah. So, wow. Uh, let's hope and pray that we don't get any more destructive weather, severe weather coming through the area and get this thing on out of here. We need a big old high pressure to uh, drape over the area for a while now is what we need. Mm-hmm. But uh, stay safe, everyone. I haven't heard of any injuries or any sort of uh, damage uh, to people, harm to people, damage to property, of course, a lot of that. And lots of friends I know said, gosh, I just put a new roof on. And now yeah. they, they're, they dealt with the hail, and they're worried about that. As a guy in my neighborhood just got done putting a fence up hmm. maybe two weeks ago before all this rain started, and I noticed there were parts of it down. Mm-mm. Well, um, so the markets are going crazy. This is a big week for the markets. I still feel we're going to close in the green today, which would be, again, a, a phenomenal week for markets. The, the big seven that I mentioned, Microsoft yesterday said they expect just adding the emphasis on artificial intelligence into their portfolio that it's worth $10 billion a year <laughs> of revenue. And so the market says love it because it's also highly profitable for them. So you're going to see it included in their application software, you'll see it included perhaps in the operating system, and they dominate there in the PC world, and then perhaps some specialized cloud offerings in the Microsoft Azure cloud services platform that is uh, sort of tailored for artificial intelligence. Oracle, <clears throat> you watched Oracle? I mean, their stock hit an all time high uh, yesterday through the roof. And it's because they've announced that they are going to include artificial intelligence in, pardon me, their application software. So, and, and that is being hosted and delivered through their cloud environment as well. Larry Ellison, of course, the founder of Oracle, of Silicon Valley darling. By the way, Mr. Ellison, unlike a lot of Silicon Valley executives, is somewhat conservative. Yeah. He um and he's got a bit of an attitude, shall we say? He's uh, he kind of preceded Elon Musk in that category. He just doesn't really care what he says, and he says what he believes and thinks. Well, when you're worth what forty eight billion dollars or whatever he's worth, I guess you can have that attitude. He does. He built course. it from the ground up. Yeah. He's um. What are the boat races that he's so involved in? The, uh, the America's Cup. That's it. The big-time enthusiast of that Yeah, has the, the boats <clears throat> with the big oracle on the sails and so forth. He's been involved in that as long as I can remember. He also happens to be a gardener. <laughs> I mean, he's like a flower gardener. That's a big thing for him as well. Uh, met him one time in my career long before. Really? Yeah. Uh, he and I met Scott McNeely founder of Sun Microsystems, of course, Sun, the original server uh, platforms for hosting web content, websites. Uh, It was all sort of invented by Sun. They had it before anybody else did. In the early days, 
If you wanted to create and host a website, you had to do it on Sun platforms, Sun servers. And Scott McNeely founded that. Of course, Oracle acquired Sun. And I miss those days. We were one of the first Sun partners in the country. You know what Sun, I think I may have told you this, you know what Sun stands for? Mm -mm. Stanford University Network. It was Scott McNeely, the founder of Sun, that coined the phrase, the network is the computer, when he saw this evolution of networking. If you think about it today, when you're computing, you don't really consider that behind the scenes is this giant, complex, sophisticated network platform that enables all that. You don't think about it, but really, without the network, you don't connect, you don't compute. Mm -hmm. Computers are nowadays fairly limited when they're not networked, when they're not connected. And McNeely <clears throat> had that vision, and, uh, and so he created early networks using Sun servers. All that happened at Stanford. So did Cisco's uh, internetworking operating system. It was created on Sun servers as a software platform. That's what gave birth to Cisco, which powers all the infrastructure uh, that connects all these computers together and essentially forms, comprises the Internet, is Sun, uh, pardon me, Cisco networking technology. Mm -hmm. uh, when I sold my company, the Cisco catalog, which was electronic, of course, 50,000 products, 50,000 network items yeah. to build these networks. But two titans in the technology industry, and the, the big news, of course, Oracle, through the roof, hit an all-time high. Expectations are that the company is going to continue to plow forward and increase in value because they are adopting artificial intelligence in their suite it's, of software. I tell you, it's, it's amazing how fast it is coming to a computer or a screen near you. I use it every day now. Yeah. I, I wondered about that in your yeah, line of work. Yeah. I do. I use it every single day. That's it, incredible. It, you know, it's it's not to the point where I can take my hands off of it and it does everything, yeah. but it is to the point where it gives me an extra five minutes. Sure. And, of course, it spawned a, a whole new category of, uh, of jobs. Uh, I'm, you may have been on when we talked about it. There's a new category called prompt engineer. Yeah. These are people that specialize in really optimizing those generative AI technologies by tailoring the prompts and structuring the prompts to really get the best output. Mm -hmm. Pretty fascinating. It's time for a break right now. We're coming back with Todd Jordan, the mayor of Tupelo, Mississippi. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our shop on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. See what you did there, Will. <laughs> Welcome back to Middays. We're live today in the Element Well Studios. We welcome to the program the mayor of Tupelo, Mississippi, Mayor Todd Jordan. 
How you doing there, Mayor? Good to see you, sir. I'm doing good. It's been a while since I've been on. I'm glad to be back. Yes, sir. Glad to have you on. So we wanted to first talk to you about a uh, an announcement earlier this week about Hush Aerospace setting up shop there in Tupelo. Tell us about that. Well, it, it's going to be a great, great company. Uh, these guys are young entrepreneurs. The C, COO is only 35 years old. The CEO is 34 years old. You know, they're going to bring about 80 jobs to uh, our newest and Park the Hive, which is right outside the city of Tupelo. Those jobs are going to start at $56,000. And, you know, first, they've already signed a lease with, uh, with a company here to temporary uh, housing, basically, and they will get started with assembly before the end of the year. Uh, they'll have about a 20, plus or minus 20-acre track at the Hive, and, and they should be done with construction and moving in uh, within 12 or 18 months. So, you know, we're just, we're really thrilled for them to, uh, to be coming to, to our area. Uh, both Lee County Schools and Tupelo Schools have a partnership with uh, uh, classes that will that will be very instrumental in, in getting jobs at, at the new Hush Corporation. So, you know, we're just glad that they're here and we appreciate everybody, CDF, uh, the city of Tupelo, Lee County, and the governor for for support this this endeavor and you know we're we're just glad to see them here. Yeah, what size is the investment that Hush is making there, Mayor? Uh, we're looking at I think uh, you know thirty million dollars. Uh, I think I'm I'm right on that. Uh, it, it'll be several buildings on that twenty acre track, and uh, you know this what this is is an unmanned uh, drone that. That uh, and I'm just telling you this because you can get it off the website. I sure. don't know anything, uh, you know, confidential or, or secret. Uh, but they have government contracts, uh, so it'll be unmanned drones that uh, that what that they have that they produce that fly into tanks and blow them up. Uh, and what they'll do, that'll give us two uh, government contracts: one General Atomics in our South Industrial Park, and then this one. So. You know we're we're doing good on our uh, government contracts and our military military things. Yeah. So uh, apparently MDA worked out an inflex incentive plan with Hush as well to help sweeten the deal to get them to come to Tupelo. Do you know anything about the details of that? Not a lot. I just know uh, you know they, they gave some infrastructure uh, money and and some. Other things. Uh, I know CDF is a little more involved in that since it was an industrial park area. Um, but, you know, if we can continue to get some of these uh, companies here. It's going to be great for our young people that, that coming out of high school that, that may not go to college, technical program. And, and uh, you know, when I asked them who they were looking for, they said if they can put anything together, that's who we want. Gotcha. And, you know, it opens up the field or a lot of different uh, people to come in and, and do some things. Yeah, and Accelerate Mississippi, I think, is uh, also playing a role uh, in this new project, going to provide uh, some support for uh, to train potential employees of HUSH. Uh, Ryan Miller, of course, heads out Accelerate Mississippi. I, I wonder how big a factor that was, Mayor, in HUSH uh, deciding to locate there in, in Tupelo. Well, and I tell you, we we won out over Virginia Beach and Huntsville, Alabama. So, wow. so we put a pretty good package together. I don't know what 
what the other sites were looking to do. But, you know, well, we can compete with, with places like that that have other military or, or airspace, um, you know, companies and things that, you know, we're, we're, we really put a package together. We thought we could get them here, and we did, and, and kudos to everybody involved. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, give us an update to otherwise on the city of Tupelo. Any sort of uh, events going on this summer? I know you just had the big, uh, the big Elvis event, brought lots of folks uh, to your city. We talked to some, uh, some of the organizers of that. Always a big deal. What else is going on? Well, we just had the, you know, the 20, it was a, the silver anniversary of the Elvis Fest, and also we had 150 baseball teams in last year. Yeah. Week. So our occupancy rate on our hotels was about 96%, uh, and we report about 38 hotels. Wow. And so that, people busy last weekend. Uh, you know, downtown's really popping. Our, we had Thomas Red in last night for a concert, uh, very good concert, so... Uh, Tupelo was busy. Uh, we just started, uh, broke ground on a new pickleball complex, about a $1.4 million complex. It'll, it'll house about 12 courts, and that's something that, you know, we've heard from the community. It's an up-and-coming thing, and we moved that project forward. Uh, CVB was instrumental in, in funding that. Uh, we've got two historical buildings that are being renovated downtown. One is our old Carnation built plant that's 100 years old, and it has been an eyesore since I've been alive. Yeah. Uh, Steve Nail uh, from Jackson is uh, renovating that. It's going to be 33 senior living units uh, in that. And it, it's, it's, it's a part of town that, that's older, and it's really going to renovate that. Uh, we have another three-story building downtown on Spring Street that uh, Representative Chris Brown has bought. We bought the, the property from our former mayor, and uh, my intent was to, to, to tear it down because it was just an, an eyesore. But uh, Mr. Brown came in and bought that property, and he's renovating it. It's going to be about a three to four million dollar project, and it will be a Elvis themed boutique hotel with a coffee shop and a restaurant rooftop dining and really will enhance downtown Tupelo. So that's going to relieve a little bit of pressure off our main street. Wow. Sounds like a lot of stuff going on. How how you doing with uh, sales tax collections? I got to believe you're you're doing well there with uh, the occupancy rate so high and folks coming to your town, staying in the hotel, spending money when they're there. It's got to boost your revenues. It does. It looks like our tourism tax, which is our, our food, beverage, and hotel, another record year. Wow. Uh, our sales, regular sales tax is up a little over 4% this year, and, and obviously we had a very good rec, uh, very good year last year. So, you know, we just have to continue to do things and, and, and get things uh, to get people to Tupelo. And, you know, I believe that we've got a good team here. Our council is very supportive, and, you know, we, we're doing good in the city of Tupelo. I, I, I tell people all the time I think we're a little undervalued. Uh, I believe I talked to some of the uh, hotel owners and things like that. We built three lows in the last 20 years. Uh, they just can't keep, they can't keep up with uh, the people coming to Tupelo. Obviously, our geographic location helps us out a little bit, and, you know, people aren't going to Memphis anymore. They're coming to the city of Tupelo, and, and we're grateful for that. Yeah. Uh, so are you finding newcomers that uh, aren't from the Tupelo area that are choosing to move to Tupelo, uh, make it their home? You seeing that? 
We are. Uh, I talked, had a couple come in the other day. They just moved from Wisconsin. Another lady that I met uh, this summer, she moved from California. So, yes, we are getting a lot of, uh, we're, we're a retired, retirement community also. Uh, so we get a lot of retirees from other parts of the country. I was in real estate for 15 years. And, you know, when I tell people they, how many people come from California, they just can't believe it. Uh, <laughs> you know, they come here and, and, and live for a lot less, less expensive than, than out there. So, you know, we're, we're doing good. It's just hard to keep up with, you know, what we would call affordable housing because people want to come to Tupelo and, you know, when the demand is there, the price is going to be greater. And a great quality of life. We've talked about this before. You've got great schools, great health care, uh, lots of cultural attractions and amenities. It's just an overall great quality of life. That's that's right, and we've got our new uh, Chickasaw Heritage Center that's going to break ground in spring next year. That's going to be a $30 million project. Uh, $16 million came from the state of Mississippi. Uh, the Chickasaw uh, matched the other $16 million. So, you know, that's going to be another element for people to come here and a, a teaching uh, a teaching tool for a lot of the students, and, and that's going to be another. They predict that will bring in about seven times what the building uh, construction cost is. So you're looking at about $210 million coming in yeah. uh, when they get that uh, building done. we got a couple of minutes, Mayor, but I wanted to ask you about PERS. You, you're aware that uh, the employer contribution rate is scheduled to increase about a year from now, next year. Are you concerned That's about right. this? Have you, have you sort of planning for this in your budget? We are planning, and I, I have to tiptoe a little bit here because our CFO is on the PERS board. So okay, I, I, I got to tiptoe a little bit. I understand. That and, and, uh, but yes, it will affect us. There's no okay. doubt with, with insurance costs going up every year and then PERS going up. It's definitely something we have to plan for. And the good thing about the city of Tupelo, we are uh, financially in good shape. So, so whatever comes to us, we'll be able to handle it. I got you. Mayor, always good to talk to you, sir. Appreciate you coming on, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You bet. Mayor Todd Jordan of the City of Tupelo has been our guest on Middays. We're stepping aside for a break. We're right back with you in the Element Well Studios. He had a little different... Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. From American Gigolos. She, of course, the Playboy model. You knew that, didn't you? Yeah. Debbie Harry. Debbie Harry. There you go. On the ceasefire text line, Rhett and Ridgeland says Larry Ellison had a place out in the Palm Springs area and he would drive this 15 year old Acura NSX to the country club. He's a legend in the area. I didn't know that. I knew he was, um, I knew he was a golfer. So was. Scott McNeely so, uh, of Sun. 
I said that he was worth $48 million. I, tr- I, I shortchanged him a little bit, okay. Gerard. I, I apologize. I was off just slightly. <laughs> uh, $135 <laughs> billion. Yeah. Dollars. yeah. Um, and the whole, really, the whole value proposition, the, the essence of Oracle's value is, is their database management system. That's how they got started. They just created a database management system environment uh, for Sun computers, for Unix, Sun OS and Unix. And I actually went to school to uh, learn how to develop in SQL structured query language in the Oracle DBMS environment. And there are lots of very high-powered, high-profile, popular application software tools that um, are developed in the Oracle environment, enterprise resource uh, requirements planning uh, software, for example, and all, all the electronic health records. So those kinds of big sort of enterprise operational systems, vertical software and so forth, there, a lot of those are, are produced and developed in the Oracle environment. And then Microsoft has a competitive Microsoft structured query language. So you have the Oracle version, you have the Microsoft version. They're very similar. Um, And Microsoft has its own underlying database management system as well. So does Oracle. But Oracle was the first out of the box with that. And you typically find their environment used in, I would say, more more high-end type software. So you may not realize it, but Lots of the tools you're using, using it. you are. And, you know, on your phone, for example, when you're in an app and you're doing sort of transaction-type stuff, behind the scenes, probably Oracle databases, Oracle applications, Oracle databases that are integrated with and interface with front ends, if you will, of user interfaces on your PC, on your phone. And they were the guys that were first out of the gate to create what's called client-server client-server architecture, and that just means that you had lots of software and, and programs on your client, that would be your PC, your laptop, and that did all the, the user interfaces, and it spoke to the server part, which would be stored on servers, and that handled all the back-end database process. And I know I'm getting into the weeds and nobody cares, it's getting a little technical, but <laughs> just trying to explain to you why Larry Ellison is worth $148 billion, because he invented all that stuff. Yeah, and now they're using AI, that's kind that's of how right. we got into this. They're yeah. using AI as everyone else is right now, it seems, AI everywhere. Uh, they just released a new AI chat GPT app for your phone, so you can use it on your, your phone now fairly oh, wow. easily. Um, and I, I use it all the time now. It's incredible. And before we went to break, you uh, you maybe think about this whole new category of work called prompt engineers, and and there are actually ads. If I can find a couple, uh, there are actually ads from companies that are looking for AI prompt engineers, and they say one of them said you need to have a hacker spirit. Can't remember. It may have been Google that uh, published that particular ad. Need to have a hacker spirit. Says you're either your job is to write the prompts to get the, the most optimum results from the generative AI software tools. You've worked with it. You know how yeah. you can. Oh yeah. 
some prompts seem to produce better output than others. Mm-hmm. And so these prompt engineers, they really dig underneath the covers and figure out the best prompts, the, depending on the output you're looking for, the subject matter, et cetera. Because you know that all the AI tool is doing is searching all the data available to it, which is all data Absolutely. <laughs> on the Internet. And it's got some intelligence where it assembles all that and, pr- and brings back to you. Yeah, and I mean, every, they say every industry uh, will be in, impacted. Think about truck driving. Yeah. Uh, how it could be impacted. What, ima- imagine if you're a truck driver and you could avoid traffic when you're going through Atlanta. Yeah. You know, and it, it can predict, you know, hey, you know what, at 7 p.m. you need to avoid this place and go there. I think, as a matter of fact, Garmin, the GPS guys, I think they've embedded it in their technology for that very purpose, as a matter of fact. Single pane of glass, as they call it, and it'll help you route your way through based on, if you're a truck driver, your specific configuration, load, and all that stuff to make sure that, you know, you don't violate any of the transportation rules. We're out of time here in hour one of middays, but we got two hours left. We're coming right back after Fox News and Super Talk News in the Element Well Studios. And now. Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. We are in the Element Well Studio, hour two of the program. It's midday. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear part two of an interview with Mississippi Delta Tourism Association director, author, and all-around blues historian Wesley Smith. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by VisitMississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on most Supertalk Mississippi stations, supertalk.fm, and available everywhere you listen to podcasts. So... When we uh, completed our interview with the mayor, I just noted that uh, we were talking about it offline. I'm not saying anything out of school here. I just noted that his reaction to the PERS contribution rate increase was a little different than a little more subdued than Mayor Toby Barker of Hattiesburg, whom we had the pleasure of interviewing um, at our remote down at the Armed Forces Museum, of course, in Camp Shelby. Uh, around the Hattiesburg area, and he was—he made it very clear he's very concerned about this additional expense burden because municipalities and and uh, counties, any entity which has employees that participate in PERS, is going to be subject to this employer contribution rate increase. It's 5%. That goes into effect July 1, 2024. Now, in Mississippi, the board of PERS, the Public Employees Retirement System, you heard the mayor say, I've got to be careful there because his, I think he said his CFO is on the board because they are a participant in PERS, and that's what the board consists of. And uh, it's July 1, but it's the board of PERS that has the power 
to adjust the employer contribution rate. It is the state legislature that has the power to adjust the employee contribution rate. It, it's very similar to Social Security in that there's a, an employer contribution, an employee contribution. The difference is that in Social Security, those rates happen to be the same. The employer contribution, the employee contribution, they're the same. Same with Medicare. However, in PERS, the employer contribution is nearly twice what the employee contribution is. It is rising to 22.5%. So every dollar of payroll, public sector payroll in the state of Mississippi, is subject to this 22.5% PERS contribution by the employer. That's 5%. Go, it's presently 17.5%. So that goes up July 1, 24. Well, cities, counties, etc., other public sector entities that aren't the state government that don't derive their funding from the state, they got to figure out a way to pay for that. Now, where do wow. cities and counties get their money? Two sources, sales taxes, property taxes. In Mississippi, that's their principal, if not almost exclusive. There are some fees and other stuff, and of course, they, a lot of them operate water systems, etc. But in general, to operate the functions of, let's say, a municipal government, you got two sources of money. You got property taxes, you get some share of that for property inside the city limits, and then you've got sales taxes. And depending on the city, you'll see somewhere property taxes exceed sales taxes when you look at their revenue mix, like the city of Jackson, for example. On the other hand, when you look at like the city of Ridgeland, where I live, sales taxes exceed property taxes because there's a lot of retail, a lot of sales. You, you see that. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense. Um, so it just depends on the city. But the bottom line is somehow they got to make ends meet. The state doesn't say, here, by the way, your contribution rate's going up. Here's some more money for you to pay that. The legislature doesn't appropriate money to the cities and counties to cover this additional PERS contribution. I'm guessing that smaller municipalities will be impacted by this the most? Well, I guess, but the, the mayor of Hattiesburg was um, visibly upset about that, Mayor Toby Barker, and I don't think I'm exaggerating his reaction, and it was uh, right after, uh, right about the time we were going off the air, it was a short segment interview at the end of the hour, and I, I asked him, I think it's a fair question to ask everyone in municipal and county government, because it's a, something that's being imposed on them by the PERS board. And we're going to be down uh, doing the show at the Mississippi That's what I was about. Municipal I was looking League. at the calendar to see when that is. A couple weeks here. It's a couple weeks here. So I'll, I plan on asking every one of them. Every How are you single one of them this? that well, walks through the door. Sure. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's no different than you think about your own household. You know, you're paying rent, for example. You, you have rental property. You live in rental property. And your landlord says your rent's going up. Same deal. It's imposed by a third party, and your choice is your choice is to move, I guess, but you're probably going to find the rent's going to be up. In the case of these cities, they can't move. they got to deal with it. What they could do is cut staff, but most of them will tell you, we need more staff. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've interviewed any that said, yeah, we need, we need fewer staff. 
Yeah. Now, I guess you could say it's not surprising that anyone in government, is they're always thinking about, boy, if I just had more staff, how much more I could get done for my people. And that's fair enough. And as long as you can make the, the budget work, the numbers work, I guess that's fine. But um, if you can't, then you've got to figure out, how am I going to get more money? So the concern we should all have, Will, is, okay, uh, property taxes, for example, are controlled at the, uh, the county level. Are we going to see counties increase property taxes to cover this additional PERS contribution? That's the question. And in fact, I don't think I'm mistaken about this. Mayor Barker sort of hinted at that. You know, we don't want to have to raise property taxes to make this work. So, but on the other, but you see, the problem is this is this is a problem that ain't going away. This PERS thing, just like Social Security and Medicare, it's not going away. And they have the ability to raise these rates. The board does on the employers. The legislature on the employees. Now, that would be quite unpopular, as you can imagine, if the legislature said, okay, every state employee, your contribution to PERS is going up. I don't think that would be received very well. No. They already have, whatever it is, 9.5% taken out of their check now for PERS. And the reason why they're increasing this is? Because PERS is, is on uh, not on the most sound, uh, solid financial footing, just like all defined benefit plans are in this country, the biggest of which, of course, is Social Security and Medicare. So when you start looking out into the future, I mean, it's not like imminent crash can't pay benefits, but when you look at the funding and the actuarial estimates, uh, meaning how many people and, and how much money do we need in the future to pay benefits and how are we going to get there based on trends in employment, contributions in, returns on our investment. When you add all that up in the, in the modeling, you say, hey, we can't make ends meet. And so there's this, there's this sort of complex formula and I don't want to get into that, but the formula basically re, uh, produces a result that is a percentage figure that um, evaluates and assesses the solvency of a defined benefit program. Third parties do this. Typically, you look for 80% is kind of the magic number. Mississippi's PERS is at 60 So it's got work to do. And now this is looking out in the future. Again, it's just like Social Security. It's not, it's not tomorrow, neither is Social Security. It's nine years out. But as the population ages and therefore retires and right. less people come in to contribute. You got it. Yeah, all that's just putting pressure on it. We're living longer, et cetera. And uh, PERS is no exception. And then you got... What was it they told us one time about PERS? How many hundred-year-old people were on it? Yeah, it's it's more than I thought. I want to it say was like, it's like 70 or something like that. 70? It's, I can't remember. I apologize for that. It, but it, it was some crazy, you know. It was more than I thought. You think about how many people at the at the age of 100 there are, and there were 70 of them still living on PERS. I was shocked. And by the way, th- that information was provided to me by a state senator. I'm not going to uh-huh. say it doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant. Yeah. But I can assure you, this is a senator. It was who, shocking. This was a senator, who knows, 
who's been pushing PERS for guys. We got to do something. You don't see a lot of that publicized, but I know that this particular senator, and others, by the way, state senator, have been working hand-in-hand with the PERS board to, to try to address this issue, because it's not going away. That's the point. Have you seen a single candidate running for office in Mississippi at any level discuss this? Nope. Just like Social Security and Medicare, man, it's the hot potato nobody wants to handle. It ain't going away, and I intend to ask every single one of them we interview, what's your plan for purse? They don't want to talk about that, just red meat rhetoric stuff. Yeah, yeah, what about purse? It's going broke. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well Studios. Don't forget Kelly Bennett coming up next. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Innovative music videos ever there, right? I love uh-huh. that music video. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's a catchy song, too. It is. Now that you played it, it's going to be in my head like for the rest <laughs> of the day at least. <laughs> Joining us now is Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Top Mississippi News. Good you didn't, pl- you didn't play you the know? intro there. Oh, I didn't. I, I'm filling in today, so I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I didn't talk over it this time. I stopped <laughs> to wait for it. Oh my gosh, we'll get it next we have time. No plan. <laughs> oh man, that's right. Oh well, it's all. Uh... It's been a crazy day, anyway, Gerard. Because this morning has been all about severe weather, uh, road closure information, trying to get that up, and it looks like. Even though you think you're out of the woods, we're not. Hmm. There is a slight chance for more severe weather for most of Mississippi this afternoon through tonight. We're talking about severe storms, hail, damaging winds. And the National Weather Service out of Jackson says a tornado can't be ruled out. Now, I know a lot of people may have suffered some damage this morning, maybe trees on a roof or something like that. Go out, take pictures, and then log on to msema.gov. They have a self-reporting tool uh, for any time you receive damages during a storm, and it helps them to figure out whether or not they can get federal funding to recover after these storms and that kind of thing. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. Be gone with this nasty weather. Kelly, I'm ready for it to I move know. on out of here. I don't. Uh, you just, you're stressed out about it, and you see that red forming, you're looking at your radar and saying, oh, my gosh, it's headed this way. It's the way I felt about 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, today, because I could see it crossing the river and headed straight for uh, my position, and it it moved through and and fortunately didn't do any serious damage. Just a bunch of tree limbs and sticks and tree debris all over the place with the pine well, trees, you know. So it caught me off guard too. So I'm on the coast, yeah. and we had a round of severe weather move through yesterday afternoon, and I had my door. You know that little thing you put on your back door, the screen door, so that it'll stay open? Yeah, yeah. A gust came through that was so strong, it broke it right off the metal. Gee whiz. (laughs) I was like, whoa, what happened there? Yeah. All right. Give us an update. What are you tracking this week? 
What's the big news? I was kind of shocked to learn this about a former Jackson State coach, Deion Sanders. Yeah. He had had a couple of toes amputated from his left foot during his t- tenure at Jackson State. Wow. He's in danger of losing his foot. This is due to blood clots. And, of course, now he's coaching the uh, Colorado Buffaloes. He's been meeting with doctors, but he doesn't know at this point he hasn't committed to surgery or not. But he's basically meeting with doctors before the season gets underway because he knows, you know, once that happens, he's not going to have time. Wow. So I didn't know that either. I know. Man. Horrible. How do they keep that secret? Yeah. It's <laughs> You just got to. You got to pay attention to Neon Dion. I, I guess, guess so. He puts it on his I guess so. Yeah. All right. Well, that's. So I know. Go ahead. I was going to move on. Yeah. Uh, they found a problem with the Arkabutla Lake Dam, and they've been draining the lake so that they could get to the problem, the Army Corps of Engineers, and fix it. Well, in Mississippi, we're so used to, I guess, when the water goes down, uh, like it did along the Mississippi River. You go in, you find treasure. There's all kinds of cool stuff that's unearthed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you can't do that at hmm. the uh, Archipelago Lake. It's a crime. It's hmm. on federally protected land. And apparently, treasure hunters have been going in there on four-wheelers and taking artifacts from the site. Uh, and it's actually a, an ancient Native American burial ground that's been unearthed. Hmm. And you can't do that. So just want to warn you, I mean, and we're talking about a first offense could result in a $10,000 fine and up to a year in jail. That's first offense, y'all. And they are saying, just in case you weren't aware and you did remove something, you're being asked to take it to the uh, DeSoto County Museum, and they'll make sure it gets back to the Chickasaw Nation in Oklahoma, which is, they originally were there at this site. Right. Pretty interesting, huh? Wow, that's fascinating. I had no idea, but uh, there's probably more of that, honestly, in the state of Mississippi. We just yes. don't know till you you come upon it randomly, not yeah. even not even trying, unless there's some information that points to that. Well, I mean, how long has it been since the Mississippi River got so low that you know that those things were on there? I can't even remember how many years, but yeah, um, and. You know, it's history, and everybody wants a piece of history. I mean, it's fascinating, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, there's some good news. Yeah. You want me to share some good news? Uh, please. Mississippi, one of two states being recognized for ensuring scientifically-based reading instruction in teacher prep programs by the National Council on Teacher Quality. Unfortunately, we're not hearing a lot about this, but our reading scores are really seriously improving. Yeah. And quickly So this report highlighted three Mississippi universities, Jackson State, Mississippi State, and the University of Southern Mississippi. And get this, if you're not aware, fourth graders achieved the number one spot in the nation for gains on the National Assessment of Education uh, Progress in 2019. The report says Mississippi maintained its historic gains in 2022, and the state's economically disadvantaged fourth graders achieved higher scores in reading and math than their peers nationally and in the South. Wow. I mean, that's fantastic. Our state's national ranking for fourth grade reading have jumped from 50th to 21st since 2013. Very good news. If you're curious, 
Colorado was the other state that was recognized in that report. And I'm a big bookworm. So this is kind of near and dear to my heart. I'm like, yeah, readers, we got to get readers out there. Not so great at math. Probably like you are, Gerard, Mr. Financial Whiz out there. But <laughs> Don't know about that. <laughs> but that's that's a cool story. And another good one from this week. You see how I'm trying to, I'm trying to intersperse the good stuff with the bad. Yeah. Uh, Covington County Deputy has been named Deputy of the Year by the Mississippi Sheriff's Association. Got to honor our men and women in black and blue, right? And uh, Sergeant Josh Summerlin was honored for his courage in rescuing an elderly motorist driver from floodwaters along Highway 84 in July of 2022. He's been a Deputy Sheriff for nine years. How about that? Congratulations. That's awesome. All good news. Man, you're just a breath of fresh air of good news this morning, Kelly. What else you got? Well, I try to be. I figure JT comes in Monday and gives you all the bad news for the week. So I was like, come on. It'll be on with Paul. I don't have to endure that. So what what else you got? I didn't know this. Yeah. I was fascinated to find out this week that the first person ever diagnosed with autism is from Mississippi. Yeah. Did you know that? I did, and so Will, we interviewed, right? Somebody who's that? They've connected to that. Uh, was it Representative Tom Miles? Who's from that area? It could have been. Yeah, yeah that's and right. That's where I saw the the initial notice of the uh, the passing of uh, Mr. Triplett. Yes, um, that's right. That's who it was. Why yeah, it? yeah. I I do he recall that. That is Forest. fascinating. He was born in Forest, Mississippi, in 1933, and he did. He passed away this week at the age of 89. Wow. I don't know why, for some reason, Gerard, I was thinking autism was more recent than that in the incidence of it. So, uh, yeah, I found that completely fascinating. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, I'm out of stuff. No, I'm not. Okay. (laughs) Uh, no, I'm not. What else you got? Uh, Father's Day is Father's Day's coming up on Sunday. True. Uh, if the weather's clear enough, dads can get into the Mississippi Aquarium for free with a paid admission of a friend or a family member. Okay. So that's kind of a cool thing. That is cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are you hearing on the election front? Anything? Because you know we got elections coming up here pretty soon in Mississippi. Any any breaking news there? Well, uh, they recently came across a deadline to file campaign finance reports, and we've got all that information up at supertalk.fm if you want to check that out. Uh, There are some voter registration deadlines coming up pretty quickly, too, and you can find that information as well at supertalk.fm. Do you see a a trend here? Maybe there's a lot of information up there at (laughs) supertalk.fm. Absolutely. Uh, they're filling it up, doing an outstanding you, job on that, too. Are you hearing anything interesting about the election, Mr. Plugged In? Well, um, CPAC recently endorsed uh, candidate for lieutenant governor uh, Chris McDaniel. That's probably, the, the, I guess, the most prominent news of the week on the endorsement front. You know, there's a constant stream of endorsements <laughs> on both sides and contributions. Right. There's been some reports of that. But uh, CPAC is the latest Matt Schlapp's organization that came out and announced their endorsement and support for a candidate for lieutenant governor, Chris McDaniel. That's about it. But we're going to be in the show in about a month and a half, and we'll have a lot of stuff to talk about then. Kelly, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great weekend, guys.
You too. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Bumping us into this segment here on Middays. Today's Sports Talk Mississippi will be at M Trade Park in Oxford for the 2023 Mississippi Bombers Summer Southeast Invitational. It's one of the biggest and most prestigious softball tournaments in the country. And it's happening right here in Mississippi at M-Trade Park. 120 teams from 15 states will compete. And last year, over 85 college softball coaches were in attendance to scout some of the best players in the country. So join the boys from Sports Talk Mississippi today at M-Trade Park in Oxford. I'm hoping the weather holds off for them, Will. Hopefully so. Play a little softball up there. Beautiful facility. Glad the uh, Sports Talk guys are up there. They'll have a lot to talk about. Ought to be fun. Also, the NCAA Division I Baseball Championships kicking off, right? That's right. Got the World Series going on. Um, I'm looking at hotel prices in Oxford right now because of all these teams that are going to be there. Yeah. Uh, it's packed. I'm sure. It's packed. So... Yeah. If you're planning a weekend in Oxford, <laughs> you might want to just drive to Batesville or somewhere <laughs> else and find a, a room. Or Tupelo. You can go to the beautiful city of Tupelo. It's it's not too far from Oxford. Maybe a 40-something minute drive now. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking at $200, $200. Woo. Yeah. <clears throat> well, the uh, youth sports is quite the industry. You know, my son was Absolutely. in it for many years, and he just uh, switched to a, a new line of work. But... Uh, he he was the operations director, tournament director of Sports Force Parks, uh, worked for Sports Force Parks, 17 Baseball, uh, oversaw the facility in Vicksburg, which is fantastic as well, mm-hmm. over on the river. Did that for several years and just uh, moved into a new career. So um, the, the weekends are tough. You know, when you have to be at the park there, in his Absolutely. case, 6 o'clock in the morning and don't get out of there till 11 o'clock at night and dealing with all kinds of issues throughout the day, it's, it's, it's pretty taxing work, honestly. But it's huge because there's such a draw. And teams come from all over the place uh, into the state of Mississippi every dang weekend playing baseball. I sort of got started in that in South Haven, Snowden Grove Park, can't remember when it, it launched, but I actually coached in the very first weekend the park was open. Mm-hmm. wasn't my child. I was coaching another team. A friend's um, child was on that team. I think it was 12-year-olds, if I'm not mistaken. 
And uh, it's still that way, right? Every weekend, it, 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 it made South Haven, honestly. Yeah. It was an economic boom to South Haven, Olive Branch, DeSoto County. It just sprung up uh, all around baseball, youth yeah. baseball. Incredible. Same thing with Vicksburg. Place is packed. They all come around, come in, stay at the hotels over there, at the casinos. They cut deals with them, so forth. Really cool. And then, of course, at Tupelo, you heard the mayor talking about. It. I think they had the state championships at one of the age groups, if I'm not mistaken. They did, and a couple of the age groups, maybe. In Tupelo, it, it's been going on for a while now, and it's huge. You, you, I'm from North Mississippi, and so you'd, you'd be going to a restaurant or something, and you just see they're packed. Cars, yeah. You know, buses sometimes, and kids. Yeah, and parents. It's it's great family entertainment, honestly, because the whole family participates, and you go out and play baseball, and you're you you um, become lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. I certainly have made lifelong friends in in uh, part of my baseball coaching uh, career. It's just a blast. But we're blessed in Mississippi with so many great facilities and towns to enjoy a yeah. weekend of baseball, softball, soccer as well. Don't mean to. Certainly don't mean to discount that. Another huge youth sports. Our Gulf Coast is also uh, plays home to a, a number of fantastic facilities. Hattiesburg, Laurel, they're all over the place. Mm. We're, we're just blessed. Don't want to leave anybody out, but it's, it's a big industry. There, and here's what I guess I've learned. It's probably no surprise to people is... There's like no limit to the amount of money parents will spend on their kids to play it, youth sports. It blows my mind. It's incredible. It's a huge industry. It I'm, just absolutely anybody that does travel ball. Yeah, it's I mean, expensive. I'm just stunned at how much it costs. It's expensive. My son was a hitting instructor as well, so he ran the tournaments on the weekends and and um, uh, prepared for the tournaments during the week. You're you're working with teams, getting everything scheduled up, umpires, all the field people. It's a, it's all week to get ready for the weekend. Yeah, and then gave hitting lessons four four nights a week, starting at three or four o'clock in the afternoon for three or four hours, and you couldn't get in to see him. I mean, it's just packed because people would see the results. You know, you get a reputation, and uh, again, folks uh, spend a lot of their good money, but. Look, when you're spending your money on your kids, is there anything better you could spend your money on? I can't Absolutely. think of anything. Yeah. So, um, and he also would travel often on the weekends up to the Delta. It's hard, hard for them to get to this area, and there's really not a lot of hitting instruction in the area. But he had several of the high school kids uh, in around Pilla and so forth. That mm-hmm. um, one of the dads had outfitted one of his his farm structures. Installed a batting cage, <laughs> air-conditioned batting cage facility in there. I mean, just as good as any of the academies yeah. had. And Nick would go up there and spend pretty much most of the day with uh, the kids that would come by, and he'd do you know hour lesson with them or so forth. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's great. It's a it's a good part of um, our culture, and Mississippi is blessed. It's if you want to know why we have such a great baseball at the college level. That's why, because the youth sports here is so fantastic. It's such Absolutely. of such high quality, and I applaud the parents for um, getting their their children involved in that. It's not for everybody, of course, but you know those that do, um, they they certainly enjoy it, and it's something that uh, you make memories on and never never forget about. Is the Highway Patrol? This is DJ and something. Is the Highway Patrol and the legislative? 
uh, talking about the retirement systems. Okay, I got you, DJ. Are they separate funded? Do they have? They are separately funded. Do they have the same problem as PERS? They do. Um, and so there's a um, gosh, it's a 44-page report I've reviewed. It was produced last year by the organization you may or may not be aware of, familiar with, I should say, known as Peer. That's the Performance Evaluation and Expenditure Review Joint Legislative Committee, and and this is typically what the peer group does is they will analyze, uh, focusing on spending and revenue and budgetary type matters. And so they produced a report, did some research, produced a report, 2022 update on financial soundness of the public employee's retirement system. And they they addressed this to the Joint Legislative Committee, the representatives and the senators that are part of that committee, Representative Jerry Turner, the chair. And, and of course, this was transmitted to the governor, a letter of transmittal. It's all included in the 44-page report. But I'll read this, if it's okay with you guys, to just, this is the high-level, right off the bat, right at the top of the report on, like, page five, when they start digging into the actuarial soundness, key findings. That's common when you have a a comprehensive report to kind of have a summary, an executive summary, at the front of the report. says, as of June 30th, 2022, all three of the plan's funding policy metrics reached red signal light status. Based on these results and the negative investment experience of the plan for fiscal year 22, the PERS board voted to adopt the recommendation of its actuary to increase the employer contribution rate from 17.4% to 22.4%, an increase of 5 This is what we've been talking about. So I'm reading it now. Um, the employer contribution is a flat, uh, pardon me, pardon me, the employee contribution is a flat 9%. So presently, the combination of the employer, the employee, 17.4 plus 9, 26.4. Next year, the employer rate goes to 22.4. So think about this, Will. That means the total contribution, employer, employee, 31.4%. That's nearly a third of every dollar of payroll going into the PERS fund to fund retirement once they stop working. Wow. A third. And still, that's in question as to whether or not that'll do it permanently. Wow. That's because it's a defined benefit plan. The difference, folks, defined benefit plan, once you retire and you start receiving benefits, they're good for life till you die. Defined contribution plans, such as the typical private sector 401k plan. You know the balance in there. When you retire, that's your money. When you're out, you're done. You don't have any more. That's the difference. Defined benefit plan, defined contribution plan. Defined benefit plans, in general, don't work eventually. It's what Social Security is, what Medicare is, it's what all these public pension systems are. They're all on shaky ground. There ain't no easy answer. Coming right back, we got another segment in this hour. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for.
ready Bend down, isn't it a pity Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city All around, people looking half dead Walking on the sidewalk harder than a match yeah. But at night it's a different world Go out and find a girl Come on, come on and dance all night Despite the heat, it'll be alright And babe, don't you know it's a pity The days can't be like the nights in the summer Oh, in that's good stuff there the loving spoonful. I love it. I was just switching back and forth between your show and WFAN New York, and both shows were talking about traffic. Says <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> How about that? So, employee benefits. There's uh, some interesting history behind that. We were talking about PERS here in Mississippi and, and its challenges that have to be addressed. The, the city of Plymouth, actually it was not a city then, I think it was just kind of a uh, an entity, if you will, public sector entity. They actually implemented a pension... This is in Michigan, right? No, Massachusetts. Plymouth. Plymouth. Like Plymouth Rock. Where they landed. Where the pilgrims okay. came All in, right. yeah. So they actually implemented employee benefits in 1636, a pension plan. Yeah, it's true. But it's health benefits. That's the one that we primarily think about when you, can, when you talk about employee benefits, because health insurance is expensive. That didn't even exist until World War II. And it came about because... The government imposed wage controls in World War II. And so companies came up with this idea of offering and paying for health insurance as a way to get around the fact that they couldn't compete for employees with wages, higher wages. I can't pay you any more money, but i tell you what I can do. That's I it. can give you this health benefit. That's exactly right. That's where it came from. World War II, and it was it was during that time when these wage controls were were implemented, and I I didn't know that until I was got involved in healthcare reform policy research back in 2008, and, and I was shocked to find out that the origin of health benefits because there's always been a discussion about maybe we should decouple those from employment, and then there's always been the uh, the talk of um, portability. Of health insurance, you if you have health insurance with your employer, like most of us do, by the way, some 85% of those with private coverage in this country receive their insurance from their employer, the, the so-called group market. 15% do in the individual market. They're self-employed, as an example. Or they work for an employer, small employer, that doesn't offer health insurance. They have to go buy it on their own through the so-called individual markets, what that's called, as opposed to the group market, which is you're just part of a group at your employer. But the problem is, when you separate from your employer, you got to go start that process over again. You're subject to and have available to you whatever insurance, health insurance is offered, if they offer any, from your new employer. And so there's there's been discussions in Washington for since the Obamacare days, honestly, when it really got a lot of traction to make it portable, stays with you. You you may switch employers, but your insurance stays with you. 
you see how complicated that would get because your new employer obviously may not have the same carrier and the same contracts and all that, all that sort of stuff. But it's it's a hassle on the part of the employee, of the covered, the subscriber. That's been talked about. Ben from Madison says, thank you for talking about PERS. Most in the media seem to ignore it. You know, and I think, honestly, Ben, it's it's not a sexy subject, honestly. Um, people don't want to talk about it. It's not well understood. You kind of have to dig into it to understand the the uh, the machinations of, of PERS and retirement systems and how all that works. And, and candidates typically... They don't spend a lot of time learning about that. Um, folks in the legislature don't either. You don't see a lot of bills, for example, a lot of discussion. You're not going to hear many speeches about PERS at a campaign rally. Yeah, it's, it's not going to get anybody fired up. But the fact is, we as taxpayers in the state of Mississippi, we're obligated to fund it. We have contracts with the employees uh, and retirees to ensure that their benefits are not interrupted, or in the case of employees, their benefits are available to them. I mean, that's was an agreement made with them when they enrolled in the plans at employment. And we're on the hook. I just, I just shared with you. Right now, it's 18.4% of their pay is funded, uh, is, is per, the PERS contribution that is funded by the taxpayers. That's going to 22.5% July 1. And nobody discusses it. Every candidate ought to be ready to talk about PERS and what their plans are to address this elephant in the room, honestly. But once again, we got the loving spoonful bumping us out here at the top of the hour. It is noon, folks, in Mississippi. That means it's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. We got a lot more to talk about, including a new candidate on the Republican ticket uh, for president after this break. And now, and now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's Middays, live from the Element Wealth Studios. We are so pleased you joined us today. We thank you so much for that. Yeah, the uh, elections are starting to heat up here in Mississippi. A lot of stuff going on at the national level as well. There's no secret there. I mean, we could we could go in a million directions. I guess that's the good news. we got plenty of content to talk about. The latest entrant in the race for president. As a Republican, the field is expanding, Will. It's Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami. You know, we talked about that on the show a few weeks ago. I said, this guy's teasing it, man. I think he's jumping in. And he is. He is official. I like him, honestly. And if you do a little digging into what life's like in the city of Miami and how it's going, it's going fantastic. Francis X. Suarez. Okay. <laughs> Xavier Suarez. All right. 
Yeah, uh, I think his dad was actually mayor as well, oh. if I'm not mistaken. I okay. could be wrong about that. but Okay. Uh, <clears throat> two-time mayor of Miami, Republican, 45, I believe. Sounds about right. Yeah. 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 Kind of a... He's had some tussles with DeSantis, from he what has. I understand. He has. Yeah. He has. I think he has disagreed with his picking such a protracted and and just contentious fight with Disney. Yeah. D- Disney is, uh, they do a lot for the state in terms of tax revenue. I mean, if, if you look at it from that perspective, they're your largest customer. Mm-hmm. So he just thinks there ought to be a different approach. Not that he necessarily agrees with Disney's stance on some of the crazy gender stuff and other mess they got going on, but he would have had, and, and Trump said the same thing. He would have approached that totally different. But back to the, the city of Miami. I mean, that's his resume. That's his CV, if you will. Very low crime. Uh, high standard of living has attracted lots of technology firms to the area. Mm-hmm. He actively promotes Miami as uh, a home for such investments and startups, or even those that may want to exit Silicon Valley. And you're watching the news there. It's so sad, man. Every single day, you got more news from the city by the bay, San Francisco, of business closures. Huge mall just said, we're done. Right in the heart of... I've been there, San Francisco. And I guess... You know, you get I get a little nostalgic thinking back of my numerous trips to San Francisco, especially uh, the Silicon Valley nearby being the heart of the technology industry, and just so many good times. So many events in the Moscone Center downtown, uh, having attended in fantastic hotels and Union Square and all the shopping and the best restaurants in the world. Those dead gum liberals tanked it, man. They trashed it. Yeah. And they don't seem to acknowledge it. And it's, we ought to look at, for example, let's do a contrast. San Francisco, Miami. Totally different policies implemented, adopted. Totally different outcomes. Miami, they're, they're just, every day, more people moving in. More businesses moving in. Low crime. Everything's great. High standard of living. Safe. People want to live there, great schools, etc. San Francisco, it's falling apart. They're running everybody out. Look the other way on all the crime. Homelessness all over the place. You have to walk over feces and syringes. And, and, and they just act like it's no big deal. Not even a problem. Won't even acknowledge it. And if you think about Miami, how it is now. I mean, when I was growing up, Miami was... N- you didn't want to be in the same zip code. That's exactly right. It was murder on. The, it was maybe the murder capital. I, I don't know the official numbers, but people were being murdered left and right there during the drug wars of the eighties. Gangs, uh, absolutely. It was ground zero. And completely turned it around. Completely turned it around. It had a plan and executed that plan. He 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 made it clear when he took over as mayor. I remember him talking about it, watching him getting interviewed. That we're going to turn this into another Silicon Valley. We're going to turn this into a a high-tech mecca, and of course what you get with that are lots of companies that pay people lots of money. And there's no substitute for that, which is something we got to pursue here in Mississippi as well. We need more people with higher incomes. 
Mm-hmm. Lots of things get fixed with that. Mm-hmm. And I don't hear any of the candidates, except the, the governor, I hear him talking about that. He probably has more focus on economic development and the importance of that to the state. Uh, high pay, higher paying jobs, continuously elevating the scale of that. He's the only one I hear talking about it, honestly. And, and he should. He touts his record with respect to capital investment in the state. I don't hear any other candidates, particularly for House or, or Senate. I just don't hear a lot of that. And it's uh, it's a bit disappointing. Now maybe I'm maybe I'm just not privy to it. I'm not you know I'm not hearing it because I I don't I'm not exposed to it. But best I can tell, I, it's just not happening. I I do see lots of candidates talking about a lot of different things um, that I I guess are important, and I'm not saying they aren't. So. But what they talk about is the things that the base says, amen, yes, sir, that's good. Yeah, it's, uh, that's that, exactly right. That's, that's all, Usually that's any candidate running for office. Red meat rhetoric, I call it, honestly. And I, but So I, there's probably none of these folks that I see that are touting their support for eliminating the income tax I mean, I spent a lot of personal time, invested a lot of personal time in getting that done in in 22, and we fell short. We we got some significant tax reform that uh, reduced the taxation, income taxation liability, and and um, the burden on Mississippians, but we didn't get total elimination. So I see a lot of candidates say, "Yeah, that's what I'm going to get done if I'm elected." And so my question to them, and I applaud you for that. I'm for that. My question is, okay, show me a workable, viable economic model. When you say you're going to eliminate the income tax in Mississippi, do you mean like the first year you're elected, we're going to implement that? Do you mean we're going to phase it in? If so, are there any triggers, any requirements to, to peel back the rates, for example, until we get to zero? How long do you think that's going to take? These are the kinds of nuances that somebody needs to show me a plan. Don't just say, I'm for eliminating the income tax. I am too. Now show me a plan to get that done. And I haven't seen any plans. Have you seen any plans, detailed plans? I want to see a state of Mississippi budget with the income tax eliminated. That's what you said you're going to do. Is that in 2024 you're going to make that happen? Once you're seated? We're going to eliminate the income tax 2024. Boom. We're just going to light a match to two-plus billion dollars of income. Okay. That's great. How are you going to plug that hole? You're going to have to cut some spending. What spending are you going to cut? If you're going to get it done in that year, maybe you, your plan is to phase it in. Okay. Over how many years? Are there any revenue or budgetary requirements, which is what was compli- uh, contemplated and included in previous plans. You remember the very first plan that we had would have eliminated the income tax but increased sales taxes as an offset, and that would have been done in an expeditious fashion. And that got lots of backlash. People said, no, 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 we don't want to increase any sales taxes in, in different 
special interest groups, if you will, that would have particularly been affected, said, no, don't do that. So they went back to the drawing board, talking about the House, mainly. And they went back to the drawing board and said, okay, here's another plan where we're not going to do that, but we're going to phase in elimination of the income tax. But it's going to require uh, achieving certain budgetary objectives, meaning we got enough money coming in and not so much going out that we can we can pare back the income tax rates a little bit and just phase that in. And that would have taken 10 to 12 years. That's assuming everything lined up perfectly, which typically it doesn't. So to everybody that says, absolutely, I'm for eliminating the income tax, I'm with you. I fought for that as well. I went and testified for that. And I supported the original plan. I know a lot of people may disagree with me on that. But that would have gotten rid of the income tax in short order. And in exchange for that, you would have had to, uh, you, you would have had the burden of an additional, uh, some rate increase on sales tax. Yeah. But everybody that's saying I'm going to get rid of the income tax, show me a plan. Don't just say that at the highest abstract level. Show me the money, as they say. You go to Wall Street and say you're going to do that. You better have five years of detailed pro formas in your pocket to talk about. There. There was an old Saturday Night Live skit where uh, some candidate was said, "Yeah, I want to, I want to cut your taxes." And the, the reporter says, "How you plan on doing it?" He says, "I didn't say I was going to do it. I said I want to." <laughs> We're coming right back <laughs> in the Element Wealth Studio. Stay with us. Interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. in the Element Wealth Studio. We thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget the Sports Talk boys are going to be at M-Trade Park this afternoon for the big softball tournament. So talking about this prop engineer, I found it, the, the, uh, the ad for the job. Anthropic, a Google-backed AI startup. I thought it was Google. They're advertising for a prompt engineer and librarian. Okay? And they say applicants must, quote, have a creative hacker spirit and love of solving puzzles. That's what they say. Automated document reviewer clarity. They're also looking for prompt engineers. Uh, and uh, their ad reads, prompt and understand how to produce the best output from AI tools. Okay, so the Google job, no college education required, 335000 bucks. Hang on, I'm applying right <laughs> The The uh, clarity Whoa. job, 230000 bucks. Whoa! So, 
outside the tech world, you got Boston Children's Hospital and consulting firm Booz Allen Hamilton. They're looking for prompt engineers. They'll pay two hundred and fifteen thousand bucks. This is fascinating. Fascinating. And even though you've got the, the moniker engineer, they're really not certified engineers. They're not accredited engineers, if you will. And you know, we have laws in Mississippi about that. I, I've, uh, I was faced with that when I first started my company, that in the network world, in the IT world, we refer to a certain level of technical talent as engineers. But they're not like certified or accredited or affiliated with any engineering professional organization, and there are several. And I actually got a letter. Man, this was back in the 80s. I got a letter from whatever the state organization is demanding that we cease and desist the use of the term engineer. Hmm. And, you know, I. I called them. I wasn't. We weren't trying to do anything to cause any harm or confusion or problem. And I said, "Well, okay, I can, but you got about a hundred people just a couple of blocks away from me in the building, Will. That's right next door to us. That was the IBM building. The IBM building. They had about a hundred people in there that were called." Systems engineers and customer engineers. That was the IBM designation. They had different sort of job roles. But they caught that was their global job standard. Go tell IBM that. <laughs> this is when IBM dominated, right, the IT world in the 80s. And nothing ever came of that. So it's it was something sort of unique to Mississippi. Hmm. And and I you know, they I guess they saw us in our maybe our promotion. There were no websites back then, but in some of our marketing materials referring to our technical staff, that's what we call them. They're network engineers or um, technical architects, implementation engineers, cloud engineers. I mean, there's a whole mm-hmm. suite of different job roles. Um, application software engineers, system software engineers, et cetera, et cetera. But anyhow, that seemed to cause a problem. I think what you are saying on the ceasefire tax line is there may be candidates who are promising talking points instead of promising plans of action. Well, yeah, that's a one way to put it. I think that they're espousing talking points that they really don't have any detailed substance behind to validate and to illustrate how they would achieve those goals. Uh, and of course, you know it depends on how you how the language is structured. If you're promising something, well, then because of the way our system works, you got to have a lot of other people that are on board with you. It's got to go through the process of passing in whatever chamber you're running for, and then it's got to get signed by the governor. It's the same thing these candidates that run for president that make all these promises. No, you're not. You can't do that. Thankfully, you can't do that unilaterally. Our system doesn't allow that. But they still say it, and it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Well, if someone's just honest, can they get elected? Do they have to lie? Do they have to make promises, even though they can't keep them, to get elected? 
I don't know. I don't know that it's ever been tested, honestly. Yeah, I mean, there's so there's only so much you can do with an executive order. Yeah, obviously. you're limited. You're limited. That's right. Uh, those powers have increased over the years, obviously. But, yeah, a lot of candidates just, they throw, they, and they'll use buzzwords that are big in the national media. That have been tested, right? That have been tested. That have nothing to do with what they're going to do in the state of Mississippi or whatever state it may be. Right. And they, they use them. Right. Yeah. I've seen a candidate's push card say that they were going to tackle inflation head-on at the state level. I mean, that's a supply yeah, and demand. I just don't know how you do that's that. That's a supply and demand economic problem. I, well, how do we do that at the state level? I mean, maybe get rid of the grocery sales tax. Well, that, that might help just a little bit, but that's, but not, that, that's, that's not, not inflation. That's not inflation. I mean, I, I get it. it. It would put more money in your pocket. I'm, I'm glad you want to do that, yeah. but at the same time, what can you do? Yeah, I mean, the inflation, when I think about tackling inflation, I'm thinking, well, every month when uh, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports the CPI, I'm going to see that go down. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know what you could do at the state level uh, to cause that, to produce that, as an example. And again, I'm all for it. I've seen numerous candidates say, I'm for eliminating the income tax, and, and I am too. I'm all for it. I made that very clear, and I promoted that. And um, I stumped for it, if you will. I advocated for it and explained my reasons why. He even created some some models. Did the math on it. Did the math on it, right. But that was when we were also talking about increasing sales tax. And you remember, people came out of the woodwork upset about that. Oh, yeah. And I get it. You know, I understand that. But, okay, well, then we can't do it. The math doesn't work. So everybody that's saying now, oh, no, when I get elected, by gosh, we're eliminating the income tax, show me the plan. Yeah. I want to see the detailed budgetary plan. I want to see the state of Mississippi plan that shows how we're going to do that. I think um, the LBO, you can go look at the, um, the appropriations documents, 33 pages or so. Most of that is a giant financial statement showing the budget of the state of Mississippi, revenues and expenses. I want to see that, where the state income tax is eliminated. Mm-hmm. Make that work for me. That's a reasonable question. And the same question should be posed of all candidates with respect to PERS. What are you going to do about PERS? Someone on the ceasefire text line said that, um, uh, let's see, where raising employee contribution should not be out of the question. Hell, this is not welfare. They should contribute to their retirement. That's Jeff in Hattiesburg. Well, so the problem with that, Jeff, is first, it's politically unpopular. you got no chance of getting elected, I think, if you said, yep, one of the things I'm going to fight for, advocate for when I get elected to House or Senate or Lieutenant Governor or Governor is to increase the employee, state employee contribution rate. I would submit you probably won't do very well if you do that. But that being said, you got to keep in mind that these employees came into these jobs under a contract typically with the understanding that this is what their burden, their share of the what's yeah. called employee burden would be. And now you're showing up saying, I'm sorry, we got to go up on it. And it's one of the benefits of taking that job. That's right. I mean, typically, historically, folks that go work in the public sector usually 
um, are paid less than the private sector, but in exchange for that, one of the things they get is this defined benefit plan pension. That's a that's a major difference and advantage and distinction, private versus public sector employment, because you don't have that anymore. Uh, the companies that had these defined uh, benefit plans, AT&T, IBM, were a couple. I remember they had a, a single huge charge-off in one year where they converted. They said, no more defined benefit plans. Everybody in it for this many years or that's retired, you're good to go. And they literally funded those plans to keep them solvent, assuming that would cover everybody that they were going to allow to stay in it until they died, literally. But they created brand new defined benefit, uh, pardon me, contribution plans for all new employees. So they converted, saying we can't do this anymore. The state, should they do that? Should Social Security do that? Man, that'd be a tough one. We're coming right back with more. We got half an hour left in the Element Well Studios. Some more text to get to. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Tommy James and the Shondells there. We are back in the Element Well studio. We hope you enjoy the show today. It is Friday, y'all, and uh, be weather aware out there. We still got a chance uh, this afternoon and tomorrow and Sunday as well. Man, I'm tired of this bad weather. I don't mind the rain so much, a little summer shower coming through, but... I can do without the storms and the heavy winds and hail and so Especially forth. Especially the early morning storm. That yeah, ain't no fun. Ain't no fun. So, on the ceasefire tax line, we've been talking about income taxes in the state of Mississippi, and I, I think that's appropriate, Will, because you are seeing uh, that as a very contentious issue, especially in the lieutenant governor's race. I think that many people believe that the lieutenant governor essentially single-handedly blocked elimination of the income tax uh, in Mississippi. And I, I certainly think it's true that he didn't support it wholeheartedly. I think that's absolutely true. I don't, I don't think he would shy away from that stance. I think uh, we've also got to consider that there were a number of senators who had concerns about it as well. So it wasn't just him on his own exclusively, that um, stood in the way. And honestly, Will, after the plan was presented and, uh, and, it, and it got out into the public space and a lot of folks saw the sales tax increase, you remember, people went Absolutely. crazy. And it was retirees, it, I'm trying to think through, farmers would have been affected, um, Manufactured housing, vehicles, yeah, all of those would have experienced a, an increase in the sales tax, and they felt that it would hurt their business. And I, I'm sympathetic to that. I get it. I would just encourage them to think about the benefits to the state overall of eliminating the income tax. And the and, math, when you did the math, you would plug in these people. You would plug in, you know, uh, such and such as 
Typical scenario. Typical household scenario, right. And the average person came out ahead. Yeah, it was it was minimum. The, the, it is true that retired folks, um, they would be in the negative column a little bit because of the increase when in sales When you say tax. a little bit, how much? Uh, give me, the give me a... Average retiree, $300 a year, $500 a year, maybe, maybe. And that's just because I think what gets lost in that discussion is just how much of your household income goes to items that aren't subject to sales tax. Your mortgage, your rent, for example. Um, your, your energy. Your insurance. Anything you save. If you think about that, your mm-hmm. federal income taxes, all that's got to come out. Well, none of that's subject to sales tax. Um, uh, insurance premiums, big part, right, yeah. of, uh, of re- retired, retirees' expenses. So the question is, and, and I understand their, their feeling is, well, I didn't get anything out of this. And I actually went back to members of the House and said, well, them of all, people. I get it. Because we have this legacy structure in the state where retirement income is exempt from income tax. Um, We're not going to undo that. It's been in place for a long time. Maybe we ought to figure out a way to have some sort of credit on the tax return for, for taxpayers when they file their return that show on their return that most of their income is exempt retirement income. Maybe we ought to have some sort of just standard sort of credit, if you will, to offset their increase in sales tax. And then let's plug that into the model to allow us to still eliminate the income tax in full. And and that got tossed around, but we just we had a hard time getting congruence, getting consensus on how to do it. And you know we had a couple of additional iterations where and that's what I was just talking about, where, okay, we're not going to increase the sales tax, we're going to eliminate the income tax, but instead of doing it in short order, one to three years, it's going to be over an extended period of time, assuming that, or uh, provided for, uh, provided that, pardon me, provided that, look for the right language, provided that we achieve certain budgetary revenue targets, surpluses, and so forth, okay, we, we hit that target this year, Let's peel back the income tax rate a little bit. We operate another year. We produce another surplus. Let's peel it back some more. Uh-oh, we operate another year. We broke even, or we had a, we ended up with a deficit, for example, or we have more needs from a funding perspective for whatever reason. We can't do it this year. We have to skip it. That's what that plan, the, the final plan that after it got adjust, adjusted, looked like, because we couldn't, uh, we couldn't get again, consensus on raising the sales tax to rapidly eliminate the income tax. Now, it's a little surprising that that's difficult in the state of Mississippi for this reason. Most Mississippians will tell you, I support the fair tax. You heard that, hadn't you? Mm-hmm. Well, the fair tax is a sales tax, is a consumption tax. It, it eliminates the income tax, but you're going to pay higher sales taxes. I don't think they realize that's what the fair tax is. Yeah. And remember, that got that got filed in the House of Representatives. It was part of the agreement with Kevin McCarthy from the Freedom Caucus. We're going to put this fair tax on the table, right? You're going to let that on the floor if we vote for you to be the speaker. He did. It got on the floor. It got killed. 
And now Donald Trump's running ads, blasting Ron DeSantis, because when he was in the Congress, he supported it. And it's a consumption tax. And so I'm a little surprised that and, and conservative economists have said for years that taxing consumption is more efficient, more fair, and would produce better outcomes economically than taxing income, production. But yet in Mississippi, we got major backlash on that. And now what we hear is that most Mississippians say, hey, don't worry about, I say most, I don't know that for sure, I hear it regularly. Yeah, because this is never put to a vote. It was mainly people feeling the temperature of the That's exactly right. But what you hear is, let's eliminate the grocery tax, sales tax on groceries, instead of pursuing elimination of the income tax. In fact, we had Representative Becky Curry right here on this program. I think this was right at the tail end of the session, and I asked that question. If a bill were put on the floor today to eliminate the sales tax on groceries, would that pass? And her response, Will, was this afternoon. That's what she said, sitting right in that chair. Mm-hmm. And I believe she's counted the votes on that. And you've seen lots of other, um, lots of other pieces supporting that, shall we say, and lots of discussion and talk about that. But they've been talking about it for years. I know. But uh, and then there's the question: Is okay? Well, how do you plug the the revenue hole at the municipal level? Because Many of those municipalities rely on sales taxes that are paid by the gro- remitted by the grocery stores, incurred by their customers, paid by their customers, because those are typically the biggest retailers in some of the small towns in our state. Mm-hmm. And that's where they get their income, to operate the city. And even when we came back with a plan to make that adjustment and eliminate the income tax, remember the House came back and said, and we're going to... We're going to cover the loss of that income to the municipalities. We're trying to get everybody on board. Is is so I applaud Philip Gunn and others in the House, Trey Lamar, et cetera, for trying to make that happen. But I just couldn't get any buy-in from the Senate. I know many people think well, it was just Delbert single-handedly. I don't actually believe that, and that's just based on discussions I had with members of the Senate who had concerns about it, who had serious concerns about. The, the f- financial consequences of such a plan. And so all these people out there that are saying, hey, I'm going to, I support and I'm going to get the income tax eliminated, man, I'm with you. But I need to see a plan on how you're going to get that done. And you should be thinking about that, candidates. You should be working with someone um, that that can dig into all that stuff, and, and, that, and may, maybe you can do it on your own, and that's great. But I would take the state of Mississippi's budget and not plug in in what-if format we eliminated the income tax and see what happens. I've always felt that the sales tax deal was one of those that people are so against it because you see it every day. When yeah. you get that receipt and you look at – or, you know, something's on sale for $10. When you go up there, you know, you pay X amount of dollars because your sales taxes, whatever. It's it, You're confronted with it. I agree. Constantly. You see the, you see the income tax in your paycheck, but, it, but it's because it's constant. You yeah. don't really think about it. And most people, I, I don't think most people, nowadays, especially with direct deposit, most people don't look at their They don't pay check. attention to it. You're right. They don't know. They know the amount that they're going to get. Jim from Caledonia makes a point. With nationwide... 
online sales tax being collected. We no longer need the income tax money. Not true, Jim. It's a it's a math issue again. So the um, the application of sales tax in Mississippi on online sales raises about sixty million a year. The income tax is two point one billion. Two point one billion. So you're off a little bit. Uh, you need a whole lot more to make the the math work on that one. Adobe up ten bucks today. It's an AI play. We're coming right back with the final segment in the Element Well Studios. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. I know you want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. If I have to beg, plead for your sympathy, I don't mind, cause you mean that much to me. We are back. Final segment. It's Friday, y'all. Stay safe out there. Another round of weather moving through the state later today, possibly over the weekend as well on the ceasefire text line. Lots of text to get to. Going to try to with the limited time we have left. I would rather pay more tax on what I buy than what I earn. And so two texts before that, well, our state income tax isn't too bad. I don't want a higher sales tax. There you go. You got two di- totally diametrically opposed views on that. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, um, I guess I look at my personal situation. I would much rather have the, the elimination of the income tax or lower income tax. But, I mean, everybody's situation is different. That's why you've got to plug it into the model. Like, it's what I created it for. And, in fact, when I testified, I don't know if I told you, but Hi Brian asked me to share it with him. Did I tell you that? Uh-uh. Yeah. He said, have you plugged in a, and he came up with some scenario that, like, doesn't exist. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, certain income levels, this, that, and the other. He was all bent out of shape about it. And I... Whatever it was, I said, no, I haven't, Senator, because that's, I don't think, represents really any realistic cases. <laughs> and and this was in the chamber, you know, and and so I, I did, in fact, do it, and I provided it, and I never heard a word back. They they gained as well, by the way, his they scenario. Gained. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I keep saying it, but the people want the lieutenant governor candidates to debate. Gerard, I know you would be a fair moderator. All I can say, it's Ben from Madison, is that I've offered Ben, and I appreciate that. And I would I would absolutely welcome that opportunity. And we would focus on the issues, the policies, the thorny issues, like PERS, like income taxes. And we would dig into it. Um, and those are just two of many, of course. The ballot initiative is another one that there's... Um, I guess some difference of views on between the candidates, but at this point, Ben, the lieutenant governor has indicated that he would not debate. And it's not unusual that an incumbent doesn't debate. But what I can say, if he or any of his folks are listening, and I hope they know this, you guys know, I've shared, I've I've known the lieutenant governor a long time, um, I would be fair, totally fair, and would not be partial to one candidate or the other, as a moderator should be in a debate. Just ask the questions and let them talk. 
And I, I do think the people would be well served with such a debate. I absolutely do. Because I, I see a lot, of, a lot of information, a lot of campaign information about the opposite candidates. And I just so, I see that and would like to just cut to the chase and get to the facts and the truth about that stuff so the people could decide. This income tax issue is a complicated one. I, I appreciate that. And, and try to reduce that and distill that down to understandable terms here so that folks can make an informed decision. I see that as a, a role here on the program. And we'll keep talking about that uh, even more. Um, let's see. Dave says, good for you. Hobb can be a jerk. Well, he's, let's just say that, that Senator Bryan is very passionate about his opinions, and he'll certainly express those, and I'm, I'm perfectly cool with that. And He, he and I have um, had some spirited discussions uh, before about that, and that's fine. And I, you know, I appreciate it. He's had him. some spirited discussions on here. Oh, uh, he has. I think he was on two weeks ago. I, he sure was. I had, had one, and it, at the end of it, though, he's always, you know, very gracious. Yep. If you make 3000 per month and have to spend all 3000 per month, then 100% of your income is taxed. But if you spend 5000 per month and make 7500 per month, then only two-thirds of it's taxed. That's wrong. And here's why it's wrong. Because most of what you spent your money on is not subject to sales tax. I can't make that any clearer. Think about your own situation. Go look at all your bills. Go look at all the payments you make and see how much of that has sales tax attached to it. Yeah, it's things you don't think about, like energy, right. for example. right. Yeah, exactly. Insurance. Insurance. How big is that? A cost is that to you? Some of your some of your bigger monthly things. Your mortgage. Right. Obviously. Mortgage rent. Yep. You know, in Florida, it's taxable. Do you know that? So we all always point to Florida as a great place because there's no income tax. Guess what? Rent is subject to sales tax. Really? Yeah, absolutely. They got to get their money somehow. It's a ruse to think, oh yeah, they're just loaded with money. Now it is true. They benefit from having lots of sunshine and lots of tourist attractions. And guess what? They all come in and they pay sales tax. And it's higher than it is in Mississippi. And so is property tax. It's how they get their money. Same deal. Texas. My gosh, property taxes are through the roof in Texas. But no income tax. You're going to get you one way or another. Just pick your poison sort of deal. Get Chris Wallace to moderate, says Dave. He's available, I can tell you that. I think he has a show, but who knows? I prefer a use tax because everybody gets to pay them, says Paula Meridian. That's a popular school of thought, Paul, honestly. Um, is that, that way everybody's got skin in the game. With income tax, they don't. We will uh, continue this discussion, if it makes any sense to do so, when we're back with you on a Monday. And a lot of other stuff to talk about as well. Hope you enjoyed the program. Thanks for filling in there, Will. I think you're back with me on Monday, Yes, right? sir. All right. Stay safe and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.